Welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast, your central place to hear unofficial news, reviews, trivia, and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the hosts, MC. You know, it's got all those classic Prince elements. Captain. Why wouldn't you just record as much as you could? Player. It's just like a story chest of ideas. Toe Jam. Either version. I love both versions. Other special guests. Hi, this is Larry Grant. And you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. This is Mr. Hayes, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast, baby. What's happening, Australia? This is Tony M from the New Power Generation. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hey, everybody, this is St. Paul Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Eden Nelson. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Peach and Black Podcast. (laughs) We are all here getting ready and very near to review the 1986 album by Prince, Parade Music from the Motion Picture Under the Cherry Moon. And joining me is the gang, the infamous Peach and Black podcast crew, starting with Captain... Kiss my face off. <laughs> player. Life is a parade. And Toe Jam. Fishing in the river of life. <laughs> this should be a good show. Uh, judging by the intros, this should be quite an entertaining episode. And I'm MC... You know what that's from, don't you? Through to the, I've got no idea. You know what that's from, don't you? What? It's from the movie. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> did you say kiss my face off? Well, I'd like that real well, because that's just what I did to your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, forgive me for not remembering that. that Erased great, from memory. Great, yeah, that key scene. <laughs> wow, okay, so we're here today to talk about the album that made waves back in 1986. It was the soundtrack to the feature film, the second film by Prince at that stage in his career, and an album that stands alone at a very, very uh, interesting time during uh, Prince's creative, uh, what would you call it, creative peak, a very creative era for Prince and the Revolution. And we're about to go into it now. It was released in 1986. A lot of work on it, as I understand, was done in 1985. Is that right, guys? Yeah. And obviously to coincide with the filming of the movie, etc., etc., a 12-track album, but not very long. It comes in at just under 40 minutes, or just over 40 minutes, I should say. And um, came out to, to a lot of interesting reviews, most of them favorable. And we're about to go into the album review now, track by track. Let's do it. Okay. Track number one, Christopher Tracy's Parade. Let's go to Toe Jam to open up this album review. Nice little intro track, really sort of sets the mood. I think the first track really establishes a theme throughout the album, and that is like the weird effects on the drums all the way through. And in this one, you've got the kick in the left speaker, and then you've got an open snare in the right. But then you've got the reverb coming through back into the left. So it's like if you're listening on headphones, this kick drum and snare drum are just going back and forth between the two, a really weird effect. It's got all these sort of ice cream van keyboards all through it, sort of reminiscent of Around the World in the Day. And it's, it has got that real playful kind of daytime party kind of feel to it. 
got the steel drums in there and another sort of theme. It's got the orchestra spread all through. Uh, I think the orchestra could have been a little bit louder. To me, they seem a little bit too buried in the mix and um, possibly the drums a little bit softer, but that's just my opinion. Again, it sort of really comes out of that around the world in the day sound to sort of establish the, the parade sound. Uh, and you've got that train noise right at the end, uh, which is kind of a, a theme that was happening around the time with songs like Train and All My Dreams. <clears throat> Did I say that? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it really... What are those classic, songs? Never heard of that. <laughs> classic uh, revolution sort of sound. Yeah, Christopher Tracy. You know that song Train? It was on Mavis Staples' album. Yeah, what are you talking about? Ah, oh, right, right, right. <laughs> My player, <laughs> and that all my dreams was um. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have time for that. Only one album a night. Player, what are your thoughts on this opening cut? Um, yeah, I think the song lives up to its name. It's very festive, and it sounds like a parade. It's the rework of Little Girl Wendy's Parade for the Under the Cherry Moon movie. So he's taken out Little Girl Wendy and replaced it with Christopher Tracy to, I guess, give it the relevance to the movie. Like Tad James said, I love the opening drums. It sounds like a. It's backwards in its recording. One of the things that's most striking for me as the opening track is Prince steps it up again another level in his sound with the addition of horns. There's more horns on this than any other previous album and unusual instruments like the steel drums and the orchestra, he's added that. And he's never really explored that previously. So to have this as the intro, it sort of kind of sets up like another level that he's taking. The song is, and as a matter of fact, the whole album suffers from a whole heap of reverb just sounds really echoey and it must be from those recordings from the warehouses he used to record in hmm. which would be my only criticism however it's a great opening for the album all right and captain what do you think about this one well since i didn't go first i let everyone say pretty much everything i had written in front of me <laughs> you had okay. your chance what uh, else do you think <laughs> well i'll just repeat everything anyway well anyway you start off with these massive drums that just blows your head off right from the start of this album and it, it doesn't stop at this track and like a lot of others on this album it's very dense it's packed full of stuff it's just this constant assault on your eardrums but it's in a good way this song i mean everyone's mentioned the drums but in this song as well there's like this almost constant drum roll that just goes all the way through the song yeah, I wonder, which, you know... Which, which is there? I hear that, and I wonder what it is. Do you think it's a drum machine? Do you think it's just someone, whether Prince or, or another drummer, has played that pattern in there and then just looped it? What could it be? Hard to say. I doubt someone would have done a drum roll for the whole song. It's probably no, exactly, just a loop yeah. or something. I think that sound might just be the, the reverb off the snare drum, and because it's being hit every couple of seconds, there's always this sort of constant reverb to it. Hmm. That might be it. I don't know. I'd have to no, have another listen to... I think, it's, I think it's an actual drum roll. It sounds more like a drum roll than me, I think. Just just tapping away on the snare all the time, and it just keeps going all the way through. We need a a remaster to clarify it so we can hear it better. (laughs) Yeah, it's the the only answer. Speculation. (laughs) And yeah, this is word for word pretty much what Toe Jam said. There is a big string arrangement in this track, but it's buried in the mix. It could have been brought forward just a bit more, but this song's already so dense, I doubt there would have been space for it unless you push something else back a bit. But this song, it's a joyful song to me. It sounds like some sort of, you know, big party. Good start to the album. And there you go. And I'll say I like it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to open in the album review. At least we know you like one song, Captain. Does anyone know what Prince's father's contribution is to the song? Because he's co-credited. No. Yeah, I was going to say... I thought it was Under the Cherry Moon. There's that as well. Yeah, it's both, both, yeah. Yeah, he's credited as... um, John L. Nelson is credited as co-writer on this particular track. Which doesn't surprise me too much because the actual composition doesn't sound 
uniquely Prince. Like, I'm not saying that it, oh, it couldn't definitely be him. Like, it could be. But it does kind of sound slightly different to what you'd expect Prince to compose in terms of, like, compositionally. I don't know. Do you guys hear that too? Or? You sense some other input. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it the sounds way- odd. The way I always saw the co-writes with his father as he's listened to his father growing up playing different things and he's taken those maybe riffs and stuff mm. and incorporated into his own songs but then it's a bit too similar so he's credited credit. yeah. yeah there's certainly an influence there it sounds like to us anyway my thoughts very very similar to most people's the the delayed echo drums are really cool to start the album it start it just starts this this fanfare and it's only two minutes and 11 seconds but um you know it's celebration time it's party time it's it's the positive positive opening to the album that everyone would have hoped for but it's very very short and i don't know in the background whether it's a xylophone or whether it's something else i don't know if you guys hear that as well but there's just this constant just pattern being played in the background it's very kind of celebratory uh there's some trumpets as well and some other horn sections but the parts in the horn section but the trumpets to me seem like the the king yeah the king is back in town you know it's like a procession he's coming through the Christopher Tracy's coming through the town and it's... In um, some, like, weird Warner Brothers cartoon style kind of thing. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Warner Brothers, to be sure. And the orchestra's in the background and, you know, they... From the information that, that we have, it seems, it seems to be the case that this is the first album where Prince really uh, utilised an orchestra fully, and a full orchestra at, at that, and then obviously used Claire Fisher for the arrangements and, and um, some compositional aspects. And, and the lyrics, I'm not quite sold on. Look, the song is celebratory. I don't, I don't quite get all the references. And then, and then you've got the John L. Nelson uh, credit as well, so who knows whether he only helped out with the music or potentially with some of the lyrics. We'll never know, or at least we don't at, at the moment. But yeah, it's a, it's a good opening song. The other thing that I really like are the audible, the fret sounds. You know, as they're as whoever's playing guitar, whether it be Wendy or uh, Prince, yeah. when they're, they're moving up and down the fretboard, you can it's very audible. Yeah, that, that movement, and I, I really like the sound, the ambience that it brings to the song. So. The, that does appear later on in the album as well. The only other thing I'll mention, which all of us will would hopefully know, is this track and the next three tracks were recorded in sequence, which to hardcore Prince fans uh, is probably a, a redundant piece of information, but supposedly Prince laid down the, the drum tracks to all four songs in, in order, in sequence, in one take, then he laid down some of the other elements, whether it be bass, you know, other instruments, guitar, etc., keyboard, etc. So there, it's almost like a um, a procession of songs that that you know just he recorded to start the album off, and this is the first one. Um, this is a cool song, but it's it's not even really a um, it's just an opening, really, like an intro, and mm. uh, it gets a lot deeper and heavier and, and more exciting later on, I think, at some points. So let's go into track number two, which is marginally longer. New position. Got to try new position. Yeah. Make it all right. uh. Player. One word. Bass. It's bare bones minimal funk. It's just the beat and some steel drums and the bass that really lock it all together. It's a nice little track. I love his vocal delivery and how Wendy and Lisa backing compliments it as well. And also too, I really like the lyrics because it can be read in so many ways from the obvious 
to even a message to critics and fans about the new direction of the music, which I think is a cool way to address it. So that's it, new position. Uh, yeah, I haven't got too much on this new position, so I'll just say, yeah, I like the bass as well. It's really, really funky. And to know that Prince laid it down on, on his own, even before most of the music was ready or at least recorded, it was in, is, is kind of cool. The percussive element is really is really awesome. And the reverb on the snare specifically just spins me out. Wow, I've got my head, the headphones on. This is just like spinning me all around, you know, all over the room. And <laughs> really nice background vocals on this as well. And it's just a nice beat. It's just a funky song, but it's so short. It's, it's still part of that procession, that intro. So there's more to come. Captain. I really like this song. This is one of my favorite songs on this album. It's, it's up there. It's a very, I don't know, when I got this album and I listened to the whole album, for a while this was the absolute number one best song on this album. It's still up in the top three, but oh, I really like this song. Got the funky bass. You've got to love that bass line. But it's a really common bass line. And James Brown used it in half his songs. But here it, it just fits. With that funky beat on the drums, it works so perfectly. I think what makes the, this, this beat so funky, though, apart from the bass, you got is the placement of the kick drum. Go and listen to where that kick drum is if you haven't, if you don't already know. And I think that's what does it. The bass helps, but yeah, it's good. And you got the Caribbean steel drum all throughout this track, really, right up there. This is a song I would love to hear live. It'd be great. I never saw a parade tour, like I don't think any of us did. But if I had the chance to request a song played live, this would be up there. <laughs> you know, jam it for like 10 minutes, everyone's doing solos, it'll be excellent. <laughs> backing vocals too on this, good backing vocals, great backing vocals. Uh, yeah, happy, joyful song, I like it a lot. And Toe Jam to round out the second track. Yeah, it's a pretty nice track. I wish it had been a bit longer because it is, if it was a bit longer, you know, it could have been the best track on the album, but it's just a little bit too short for that, I think. Uh, I love the transition between the two tracks, the way it just has the congas or bongos or whatever they are and then then like captain said the kick drum and the snare just come in hits you uh that's good and then he has this big intro <laughs> really clean uh and again yeah i like the metaphor that can work on several different levels i like the way the song is just basically two chords it kind of just jams on b flat for a while and then it just when it goes into the chorus it just does the same thing but it all just moves up to d flat kind of thing and it's just real simple really straightforward jammy kind of song uh, really thick harmonies, particularly on the word position, when he says new position, then you get like this huge harmony on that word. Uh, and I really like the really subtle slowdown at a minute 45. It's sort of like the song sort of breaks down and it just slows down the slightest bit and then it comes in with that, do you, do you, like mm. a good man should, just really hammers it home from there. Uh, but I just wish the song had been a little bit longer, it would have been awesome. But also, just getting back to the bass as well, the bass is cool, but I love the way throughout, not only this album, but I guess probably the, the three albums before this as well from Purple Rain, uh, the bass in this era, like, it's not really deep. It's pretty thin. Um, do you guys know what I mean? Like, compare yeah. compare the bass on this song to, say, anything from, say, the gold experience or, you know, the bass is, like, really heavy and thick, and that's good too. But I like the way that this era, the bass is always really sort of thin. Um, sort of really has that classic mid, mid-'80s print sound. I wonder about whether whether that, that is an absence of low end due to the analogue digital conversion or whatever yeah. that was going on there or yeah. whether it was actually recorded that way because I... Those bass parts are so funky, the first couple, oh, yeah. Yeah. the first three or four, or the, yeah, the first three, that they are, I, I doubt that they were hit, they were placed in the background on purpose. Yeah. I think it's probably uh, more the both. Well, I also like the fact, this is sort of getting onto just Prince in general, I like the fact that Prince 
isn't a big fan or he obviously hasn't used them very, that often of like six string basses where you have the really low notes. Mm. Like he likes his standard four string and I like that because it doesn't give this super deep sound all the time. It's sort of a bit lighter and a bit thinner than, than yeah. most. Anyway. That's, uh, if, yeah, he, so that, that's if, if he even uses bass in, in a track. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Purple Rain had bass, more bass than this. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Didn't it? But I mean, sure. in terms the of... Tone, the tone. Yeah. But I think on this album, he used the bass more like another instrument than just an instrument that gives bottom end. Yeah, I guess that's more what I'm saying. More melodic. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's what I think about a bass. I'm sure I read in some interview, someone had a five-string bass and he called it the mutant. (laughs) I'm sure I read that somewhere. And I always thought that was funny. And from a little track to a little track, we go to track number three, I Wonder You. How do you say That's less than half as long than the previous two tracks put together. I'll just take this one off very quickly. And this is this song, even though Toe Jam refers to thin bass, it's probably got some of the thickest bass. That is really pleasing to my ear. So probably my favourite part in this song, you know, I wonder you, is at 50 seconds, exactly at 50 seconds, is when the guitar comes in. And it's just a it's just a chord. Ah, it's just yeah. like just ding ding ding, mm. and then that plays out for a few bars, and then the synth parts synth synth pads, excuse me, keep on doing their thing, and they create that really nice kind of slightly weird you know, kind of off kilter atmosphere. And then that last little minor bass. I don't even know if I can call it a bass solo. It's like a I don't know what you'd call it. <laughs> just a couple of notes on the bass at about one minute twenty eight seconds. That's really really cool. I hope it's a bass. Anyway, you guys better fill me in on this. But at a minute 28, it, it sounds like a um, sped-up bass. Actually, what, what he's probably done is he's just changed the pitch on it. Is, is everyone familiar with what I'm talking about? Or? You're talking about the bit that goes... That part. You might be right, but I always had in my head it was just a guitar. Yeah, yes. Okay. See, I think what he's done at, at that minute 28 mark is he's taken the bass... And he's played it on the upper end of the fretboard, and he's done something to it. He's either put it through a pedal, or he's modulated it, or he's changed the pitch. He's played around with it somewhere. So it's I reckon de- that, whatever it is, it's definitely yeah. not straight through. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and that's it. So, uh, Captain, I wonder what you've got to say about this song. <laughs> okay, this song you start off. You got some crowd noise at the start. But unlike some other tracks in the past or in the future, it fits on this album. It fits in this song. All of a sudden, um, you like crowd bass noise, work. Dude. Come on, Who, who's on the bass? This is it's a Prince. It's Prince on the bass, is it? Yeah, it's of course got to be Prince. On There's the some serious bass lines in this song, hmm. and there I just listened to the bass. I'm like, gee, that's good. It's such an atmospheric track. You got the the effects on the drums, the breathy vocals, and the like. MC said you got the cool those cool little guitar strums here and there. I have to ask MC if you consider this a song, since it is only one minute forty, and your threshold seems to be about two minutes to qualify as a song. <laughs> is this a song? It's got to be a song. It's on this album. <laughs> it's track number three. It's got to yeah, be a well, song. Yeah, if it was the first song, you'd say, "Oh, it's just an introduction." I don't consider this a song. Yeah, but you don't have an introduction. Th- you know, a quarter of the way through the album, I think it's, it's got to be. It's 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 a little minuet of a song. I think. Okay, it's a minuet. You got this, the really funky guitar outro as well. Uh, that's cool. I usually play this song twice, along with New Position as well. I'll play this song just twice in a row because it is short. 
but you, you play through twice and it's, it's just, it satisfies you. It's just enough then. Instead of being too short, it's just enough. Uh, this song, not my favourite, but it's a, it's a good track. Okay. Player. Uh, again, the main instruments used on this song is minimal, but the orchestra is there to fill in the gaps of the like traditional instruments. But it has been toned down, which is obvious if you've heard the original Claire Fisher submission that has been demonstrated by his son in the last couple of years. You may have heard that online. It's a little bit different. In fact, it's a lot different. But yeah, it's a blink and you can miss a track. It's almost like an interlude. So not much there. I guess the only thing that's really kind of missing is kind of Prince's vocal. It's it's mainly Wendy singing this. So that's it. Toe Jam. What do I say about this track? I wonder this track. Hmm. <laughs> it's definitely an oddity. Uh, I like it. Again, the bass, I think the thing that's so good about the bass is just so unique. It's just this... It's just what the hell is that going on in the bass? Just really cool. Um, all over the place. It's cool. Yeah, this whole song is just about creating an atmosphere, and I think it does that. And it's hard to express in words what that atmosphere is without actually Mm. listening to it. It's it's kind of strange. Which is Um, cool because then you have to listen to it. That's right. The atmosphere is you know it's kind of created by these sort of thick low flutes and the, the muted bass kind of sound, and there's the reverb throughout on the finger clicks and all this kind of thing, and just a really interesting soundscape for a minute and something. So I like it. It does work as an interlude, I guess. Um, and I like the transition straight into the next track as well. So, yeah, I, I wonder this track. I like it. Okay, so with that, let's transition into track number four, Under the Cherry Moon. I'll die in your arms under the cherry Four tracks in, still not a song over three minutes, even though we get close. Toe Jam, what do you think about this one? Oh, I like this song. Again, the transition between the tracks is very smooth. I uh, like the kick drum. The lyrics are cheesy, but there's some kind of interesting lyrics in there too, where he's saying he wants to live life to the ultimate high, and maybe he'll die young like heroes die. Kind of very dark kind of lyrics. If nobody kills me or thrills me soon, it's like, oh, kind of a sad Come song. Come on. Come uh, on. I'm not saying they're great lyrics, but, you know, they're kind of dark for Prince, like he's normally party like yeah. 1999 kind of thing. So, mm. But I think my favorite part of the song is just the chord progression throughout it. And yeah. I'm going to give you a little demo of the chords in particular that I like. Uh, so bear with me as I play through this. Which is, And this is dedicated to John L. Nelson. <laughs> okay. I'll play through it, and then I'll stop when I get to the bit I want to talk about. Okay. Turn it up. <clears throat> Okay, so it's got all that bit that goes on and on between these two chords. Pretty standard stuff to start with. Uh, And then it goes to this D major chord, which kind of gives it the sort of Mexican-Spanish feel. And this is where it gets interesting. Then it hits this chord here, and this note on top of it. And that little split second I just love. It's a real clash, but the way he resolves it's really good, and I'll resolve it for you now. That's just brilliant songwriting right there, I think. Brilliant (laughs) stuff. Very good. And then I'll keep going. I'll keep going to the end of the progression. And then you've got this bit, which is just a whole lot of major chords just running up and down with with an A major chord at the bottom. Really simple stuff, but really effective. Really nice ending to the song. Beautiful. Uh, so, yeah, that chord in particular, I just love that bit. 
such a clashy sound, but then he resolves it so well. Great <laughs> stuff. Great songwriting right there. Maybe that's Mr. Nelson's contribution, but um, yeah, I really like John L. Nelson, to be <laughs> specific. And it's great when he does this live, because most of the time when he does it live, he plays the piano, so you hear him doing it live. It's really nice. So, yeah, some nice songwriting in there. So I really like this song for those reasons, for the chord progression, for the kind of strange, dark lyrics, and um, the sort of quirky nature of the sound effects going through it as well, which is kind of a theme. So yeah, great song. Probably one of one of the better ones on the album. Okay, I have to say I don't agree with you about the lyrics at all. This is this is the most pretentious song on this album. This is just a I don't know. Like the music is really nice, but not only the lyrics, which are banal at some to me anyway, uh, in some instances, and his the, the, the delivery. The vocal delivery is just so... It seems ingenuine to me. It's like really like putting it on, almost like he's playing a character. And I, I, I'm not a big fan of that. But here are the things that I do like. I love the rim shot on this. It's just brilliant. It, and it goes all the way through this song. And um, that classic piano line that Tojim just exemplified for us, which, which is great. It's a little bit Broadway, a little bit cabaret, but he does it with style. Again, as Tojam demonstrated, there's a bit of, to me, it sounds a bit monkish, meaning uh, a little bit Thelonious uh, or Telonious. But it's, yeah, it's got if, that era to it. It's got that 40s sort of era to it. The same. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Almost like a bit roundabout midnight, not, you know, that era anyway. But yeah. the thing is, um, it's as if Monk was drunk and, and a bit sloppy. <laughs> <laughs> at the bar um, and he came up with this interesting chord progression but you know a little bit kind of raw and, and, and not as polished as is um, you know expected from him But so which I, which I actually do like because Prince has got a great touch on the keys and it's, it's so individual to him he's got some nice nice little voicings there uh, but um, yeah I just think it's a bit pretentious this song I wish I wish that this song was an instrumental just like Venus de Milo and and this album contained those two instrumentals I think they would be brilliant interludes almost between the rest of the album but hey that's just me player oh okay I think this is this here is one of my favorite tracks it really displays Prince's um, piano work and showcases his romanticism with his songwriting the way Prince plays piano in this song is stunning the first section is the basic outline of the song like progression but in the second section he starts busting out with these little keyboard flourishes in between the verses and they're so funky it's it's not quite renato noodling but it is noodling and then he stretches it out in the solo he doesn't play many notes though like it's it's not but it's just the groove of it it. yeah it's not about how many notes you can play mc well like princess said previously in keyboard magazine that when it comes when it comes to keyboard playing, he describes himself as a colorist, and here you have every shade of the rainbow. As <laughs> he adds it in between his vocals, it just makes it so much more interesting to listen to. The structure of the song and the way he delivers the vocal reminds me of um, the question of you. Similar sort of style and structure. Um, yeah. They sound similar in their style to me. Yeah, and he often plays them back to back when he does the piano. Yeah, so kind That's of right. sort of suggesting mm. that they're kind of from the same side of his brain kind of thing. So. Mm. Mm. Well, we even discussed about the question of you coming from 1985 originally, so maybe this was written in around the same era. Uh. It has a very cinematic feel to it, and it works to great effect. And even though he brings this out live from time to time, it's only as an instrumental piano performance. I wouldn't mind hearing this live with the lyrics in the backing band, just for a change. Yeah, full track, the full song live. Hmm. Yeah. That'd be good. With the drums and the rim shot and all that. 
Yeah. Okay, Captain, what's happening? Under the Cherry Moon, I like this song a lot. It's got some really nice piano work, and is it a mandolin, like, all the way through the song? Yeah, some sort of um, tinkering guitar. Yeah. I really like the vocal performance on this. When you really listen to the, his vocal on this, it's it's pretty good. I mean, it's not a big show-off-y song. He's putting on an accent, a, though, isn't he? Like, he's, I don't know who he's playing. He's, he's playing Christ- Christopher Tracy, mm, obviously. It's a good vocal performance, but, yeah, it's not... Exactly him, but I like it. Players said it's cinematic. It is. It's really. It's a dramatic track. It's like some sort of theatre music or something. I don't know. And interesting thing about this song is there's no chorus or bridge. It's just straight through. And last thing, you've got to love that last note as well. The last chord, the last note. I mean, come on, who does that? <laughs> Christopher does. Actually, just on the um the fact that he's playing a character, I think that's. Uh, possibly something that's missing from the songs he does today is the sense of drama. Uh, and I think Purple Rain Around the World in the Day Parade, he he is kind of playing a caricature of sort of himself, whereas in the albums today, it's just Prince being himself. Does that make sense? Yeah, or playing a character of himself in the 80s or 90s. Yeah, yeah. it's like, but in, in these three albums these three revolution albums like prince is kind of a he's like an almost like an opera kind of character mm. like he's kind of like the opera joker kind of thing and very you know? playful yeah that's right and i think that's part of the greatness of these sort of this era uh, and it's sort of something that kind of he slightly lost from sign of the times onwards well you know what raymond chandler we says the more you reason the less you create anyway i'll leave that one there we sort of got it back at batman we had the joker we had the gemini you know for a while that mm. character but yeah that was yeah. that's about the last time we've seen it camille and Faded out. Mm. Can I just finish this one song with um, the yep. way he finishes it? Normally, when he does it on piano live, and I really like the way he finishes it when he does it. And I'll just do uh, the ending again, do the it. way he does it live, and I'll I'll explain what he does. Last one, he's holding a D major chord in the left hand and an E major chord in the right hand. And it's just this really full sound. But that's different to how it ends on the album, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. All right, girls and boys, let's go into track number five. Okay, are you guys ready for this? Five and a half minutes of, we're about to find out whether it's funk or whether it's junk. The track is Girls and Boys. Meet me Player, why don't you take this one away for us? Oh, okay. Some of the purists could argue that this is where the funk starts on the album. It really gets you up and out of your seat and has the nice sing-along groove. Uh, it has the rap. It has some French dialogue. It has baritone sax. And again, it's elements like these that Prince really hasn't explored previously on, on record. So it is an all-time fan favourite. And I think a lot of people really, really like this song. It's really grooving especially for the first side i think i don't really think of this album as a cd from start to finish i, I kind of listened to it as side a and side b when i first got the album so like for the first half of the album this is like where it sort of really comes alive and yeah like all the other funky stuff's on the second side so for this side of the album it's it's really cool and so so you said a lot of a lot of fans seem to like this song or a lot of people do, and do you like this song player i do but over the years it's kind of like i kind of got used to it mm. like it's kind of like teflon it's it's just like it, it is good but it's 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 not as uh it's not as <laughs> yeah as as what when i first heard it 
Okay. It's kind of like one-off over the years, but it's still a great show. All right. Captain. So after being a bit weird for the first few tracks, <laughs> different stuff from what he'd done previously, this song brings us back to the funky prince that we now know. But at that time, this was really the start of the that sort of him playing that sort of stuff, like on albums and live as well, to me anyway. But um, you, if you really listen to this, there's some funky guitar going on in the background as well. Some great harmonies from about halfway through. But how can you mention this song without the name Eric Leeds? Mm. Yeah. Eric Leeds makes this song. I don't know what this song would be if he wasn't on there. And he does so little, too. <laughs> Again, that's not how many notes you play. <laughs> yeah, I know. How you I know. play them. <laughs> and he knows how to play them. Uh, Eric does a solo. It's cool. And then there's some French babbling. Does anyone have any translation of what all that French Vous êtes très belle. It's, uh, I think that's... Um, you are, no, uh, no, there's the, the girl, the girl that oh, talks. Oh, like, okay. I have oh. no idea what that's all about. I'm on my second, hey, you're, I'm you're on gonna... my second Japanese beer, I'm sorry, people. The more you drink, the you better the captain sounds. <laughs> I'm going to have to really <laughs> ramp this up then. <laughs> You've got this chicken grease guitar all through that. Eric Solo as well. That's cool. A solid drumming as well. Listen to the drums. Who is it? It's the drum sound. I don't know. Is it Sheila? It's not Sheila. I don't think it's Sheila. I think it's Prince or Bobby Z. Prince. Yeah, Prince or Bobby Z. Could be Prince. Uh, I think it's Prince. Why do I think it was Sheila? Because Sheila always came out to play this. I love the little rap he does at 409 and the little weird keyboard solo at the end as well. Hmm. Yeah, I listen to this song and... Like player says, you get used to it and you get over it. Yeah. And you, you don't realize what a great track it is. But I, I tried to listen to this and like I'd never heard it. And it's a really fresh track. It sounds really good. Um, I still like it. I think I like it as much as I ever did. It's, it's still good. I agree with you on that. I like this track as much as I ever did. It's a funk jam. It's a funky jam. It's a classic. It's got to be a classic. It's a staple. He's brought this out from time to time in a live setting, and, and I would love to hear this live, yeah, especially especially in the after-party kind of jams. You know, like they, I think they did this on Indigo Nights, and that was really cool. But they have done it many, many times. And vous êtes très belle. What can you say? The finger symbols, they kill me. It's just like uh, so simple. Yeah. It's like... And and it's off on the offbeat as well, which is brilliant. Just just little touches like that, genius. Eric leads on the on the. I was gonna say tenor, but play right baritone sax, and that great five note riff. This is and that last one makes it. That that last note is what makes it. Um, makes it really kind of funky, and um, the keyboard squeal. I don't know what that, what kind of keyboard or synth they're using, but um, so is it a Roland? Probably. Um, yeah. It's just out of this world. Uh, but yeah, it it is. It kind of it does get set in its way because it, it, they just really kill that groove. So let's go to Toe Jam to see what else he can tell us about this track. Uh, I'm, it's the standard funk workout on the album, and it, it's all right. It's good. Uh, I've never been a huge fan of it. Like, I don't think I've ever actually deliberately gone out of my way to listen to this song. It's just sort of, when I'm listening to the album, it comes along and I listen to it. Um, but I've never had that urge, oh, I've got to go listen to that track again. <laughs> I like the bass line. It's kind of this rectangular bass line. The sped up vocals, and it sounds, again, sounds like it's really close mic'd. I'm not a big fan of the squeaky keyboard sound. It just sounds a bit squeaky to me. Uh, I would prefer if that was done by uh, either a, a horn or a guitar or 
or something else that wasn't so intrusive in the soundscape. Uh, and I think there's also a few throwaway lyrics in this too, like uh, even the chorus, who's Etre Bill, Mama Girls, oh. Boys, kind of like, oh, there's a throwaway chorus right there. <laughs> Birds do fly, looks like rain. What the hell? That's pretty, yeah, that is pretty bad. Just to rhyme it with the next phrase. Now, the rap at 408, is this Prince's first genuine attempt at rap? Could be. You could be dead on it, Toe Jam. Uh, I think, again, this song would work really well live. I can imagine this sort of going off and, I don't know, it's a bit hit and miss for me. I like it, but I'm not going to go back and listen to it after the album's done. You could always argue Irresistible Bitch was the first rap. I think this is but more yeah, the, in terms of the traditional in, yeah. rap as in once the 80s sort of got going with rap. And, mm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, bar- the baritone sax is, is what makes the song special. Eric. And there's a Mr. little Lee. of it as well. It's just minimalist funk approach. Would you agree that this is the first sign of the real Prince funk? Oh, in terms of that sort of live sound with horns kind of thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. Started here, went on to do Madhouse, and I think this is really the first track. Well, actually, I'd argue if you're going to say this is the precursor to Madhouse, I reckon the family, instrumental tracks on the family are the precursor to Madhouse. Yeah, probably probably the Madhouse stuff, but first funk track? But they're not as funky as this. Um, hmm. I suppose Mutiny's, yeah... Well, you got to think first funk track controversy. I mean, I, I know it's not; it hasn't got those live drums, but well, yeah, although it has a little, a little bit of live drums. Probably. Yeah, but I mean, this style of this with the horns, this style that that he's been doing with all the horns and the live band oh, sort of yeah. funk track. Yeah, you probably got me there. Speaking of a funk track, um, usually one of the big, big um, hallmarks of a funk track is guitar. And I'm not going to say there's none, because there is a little bit of guitar in this, but it's very distant. There's these really yeah, distant it's, guitar it's voicings. But they do add. They do add to the funk, the funky smell around the place. And they come in around the halfway point in, in Girls and Boys, and then the drums that are and they're completely in the pocket all the way. The combination between that, the horn, and the distant guitars creates a funk, uh, a funk jam for sure. But uh, that... Then we have to move on from track number five into track number six, which is the halfway point of this album. Okay, up until recently, recently meaning in the last couple of years, I I slept on this track, and I'm going to do something here on this show. I'm going to call this song track number six... <laughs> the second best song on this album. Oh. What? I thought you were going to say it has to be a, a jazz standard or something. No. <laughs> Not quite. This is the second best song. My, well, my second favorite song. How, how do you like that? My, my second favorite song to listen to on this album. It's a favorite. It's definitely up there. And the well, reason... What's the first? Well, well, we'll get there eventually, but um, I don't want to spoil the surprise, but this is my second favorite song on Parade, and it is incredible, but there's nothing incredible about it in, in, the, <laughs> in the kind of stereotypical sense. It's not as if, oh, it's so far removed from everything he's done. This is These are my thoughts on this track. The drums are banging, smashing away on there. Sheila E., big ups to you. Such a great drummer she is. You know, people known as a percussionist, but a great drummer in her own right. Lots of great cymbal work, a little bit of hi-hat. There's some cowbell on this, which ruins Endorphin Machine, but really adds to the to the momentum of <laughs> Life Can Be So Nice. Yeah, um, and it's just such a joyful, hippie-esque, late 60s slash, you know, 80s production funk track as well. It's really funky. 
and um, I think there's a harpsichord there, or maybe it's a guitar yeah. that sounds like a I harpsichord. I think there's, both, there's, there's a harpsichord and a guitar at the same time and a guitar, all the way there's, but just like some really gentle strumming, you know. There's no, nothing, nothing um, really overpowering in there. Then there's that high-pitched synth, and the background vocals are amazing. Probably the best background vocals, other than another lover, on this album is on this track. Life can be so nice. The um, the whole thing is did just, you just amazing. Did you give away your favorite song? I didn't, <laughs> or maybe I did. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. But everything about this song just fits. It's really tight, but it sounds really loose and really spontaneous. Every time this song comes on, it's spontaneous to me. Even though I know where it's going to go, every time it gets there, it's got that magical quality of tricking you into into the suspense. Um, that, it still that takes you on a journey. It does, Captain. <laughs> it really does. And, um... The drum breakdown at a minute 48. Oh, mama. Mm. Is that funky? It's just brilliant. And it keeps going. And then the quadruple, or whatever the hell cake it is, the kick drum, just <laughs> once it kicks in, it kicks out up until the end of the song. Just smashing all the way out. And that two-note synth bass that comes in probably three quarters, three quarters through there, it just creates a groove. Some really interesting flower power type lyrics happening in the background. And the thing that really kills it for me is that merry-go-round during the chorus. It just, who does that, right? Who does that? So, <laughs> this song is brilliant. Uh, massive smile on my face when I listen to this. My second favorite track on this song. Let's go to Toe Jam. Oh, I'm going to go one further and say this is my favorite track on the album. <laughs> oh, wow. I love this track. Wow. Uh, and pretty much agree with everything you said. That I love the way it just starts with this massive jam. It's like yeah. you know, most songs sort of work up to that jam and this song just bang straight on it. Uh, and then it quietens when the when the vocals come in. I think that's a really cool effect. That keyboard lick is just a really classic Prince hook. Dun, dun, ba, dun, dun. They're very around the world in a day-ish to me. Yeah. The harpsichord, you know, it's just really full in all the headphones all around the place. And the chorus, when the chorus comes in, well, the bit where he says life can be so nice the first time, there's these like real scary chords and it's kind of contrasting what yeah. he's saying. That's really interesting. I love the way the, the snare and the clap is like almost half a beat behind. It's kind of a bit late every time. Mm. The interesting effect, kind of driving effect, even though it's behind, which is interesting. Uh, there's so much percussion happening in it and <laughs> drums as well. And I'd actually forgotten this for Sheila E on drums and I was going to ask you guys who does the drums because I wasn't sure. But yeah, now yeah. you hear Sheila E, I can hear that straight away. Especially towards the end, how crazy does it all get? Yeah. Just, yeah, but um, I love the bit at the end when you've got that two-note bass and the double kick, and then over that you've got Wendy and Lisa singing this really fast, like almost rap kind of thing. But then on top of that, Prince is singing this really slow melody, which is actually a really similar melody to "Let's mm. Pretend We're Married." This it's just really interesting the way it all comes together. And then the ending, it's just like bang, it just stops, bang, and it, it's scary. It's like you know, life has just ended, bang, that's it, bang. <laughs> and um, yeah, on one. Yeah, it's just like a insane, intense track, and I love it. Great, great to know that someone else agrees with me because I thought I was going to be alone on this. Well, actually, I did sleep on this track for years as well, and it was probably maybe three or four years ago that it hit me. And yeah, um, but a few years before that, I never really took much notice of it. Same here. This was a massive sleeper, massive sleeper. And you know, on on, a, on any given day, this might be my favorite song, but I'm going to say it's my second favorite. Let's go to Captain. Uh, I love the sound of the drums on this. They just sound. Amazing! It just kills me every time. I really like this song, but I'm not exactly sure why. There's just there's something about it. And you've got the infamous cowbell in there. Got to have that. It's a very dense track. It's just wall-to-wall sound. It just 
blasts, it just blasts away. And you'd mentioned, you know, from 156, you got those double kick drums, they just go crazy. And then there's triples and quadruple kick drums, it's just insane. And their MC, you said, is a harpsichord. There's this, there's a guitar and a harpsichord pretty much all the way through this track, just jangling away. And oh, it's cool. The harpsichord plays some little funky things here and there. And Toe Jam, you'd know about the chords. There's some suspended chord in this because it just never resolves. It just keeps keeps going. Yeah. And you're just waiting for something. And then, like you said, bang. It's that little guitar jangle. That little guitar jangle. Yeah. It's sort of jangling all the way. And, yeah. and it's weird. We use the word bang to describe total silence at the end of the track. <laughs> but that's what it is. It's just bang. And it's, all, it's gone. There's nothing. And, yeah, it's weird. Bang. But it's a great track. I, yeah, it's up there in the, in the top few of the album for me too. Player, how life can nice be? Uh, probably not as nice as what you guys have made it. I think this is a strange little track. It's very... Um, uh, yeah, it is strange. It's, it's a strange yeah, inclusion on the album. It has the flute lead line that repeats all the way throughout the track and then it gets all wild towards the end. But other than the use of the cowbell, it doesn't really do much for me. Wow. I mean, except, I will, except for Shirley's drum. You love the cowbell, but everything else is rubbish. <laughs> no, it's not rubbish. I'm not saying it's a bad track, but there's nothing special about it, on the other hand, either, except for Shirley. I've got to agree with you guys. Ah. We all agree that Shirley's drums are, is what makes this song. And the abrupt ending, it, like to me, the way I always heard it, it was kind of like the engineer has like, spliced the tape like right at that point. Hmm. It's just like it's gotten to that point, he's cut it. And it's just ended like that, but yeah. Because it, it ends on nice, doesn't it? It ends on so nice, and then on nice, it's just gone. Yeah, yeah. They've cut it right, it really fine. Yeah. And from six to seven, Venus de Milo. Venus de Milo. I don't know, Milo always sounds like that chocolate powdery stuff. Does anyone know how to pronounce it properly? I always say Venus de Milo. Okay, Venus de Milo. Player, why don't you take this one away? You didn't like life it can be so nice. Or Okay, you didn't think the world of it. What do you think about this? This, this continues the romance and the cinematic feel that comes into this whole project. It's the instrumental which up until... Uh, you know, that point in his career was something new, like having an instrumental on an album, but it serves the purpose being a soundtrack album. It's almost like the love theme for the movie. It's great to hear this live in the piano melodies, but the strings here give it more depth and it really evokes the emotions. It's a really beautiful piece of music and it transcends the listener to higher places. Um, when I listen to it, it's, it just takes you on that journey. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of it. Cool. Tajet? Uh, yeah, I think it's um, really well placed on the album as well. Between such a hectic track like Life Can Be So Nice and, and, and a big party song, Mountains. So I think it works really well in the context of the album. It's a very smooth, lovely little simple piano melody. I think the highlight is the harp. When the harp comes in at, at uh, 55 seconds and it just sort of the whole orchestra comes after that, it's really lovely. And uh, I mean, I'd really be really interested to know how this was made, whether Prince recorded the piano and then sent it to Claire Fisher who then orchestrated over the top of that or whether Prince sent him some sort of demo and then they recorded it with the orchestra there. I'd be really interested to know that, um, how that was made, because obviously um, it's a Prince piano piece that's been orchestrated, basically, 
And I think that the orchestrations are just beautiful all the way through. So credit to Claire Fisher. One more thing, as a bit of a trumpet nut, it's got Alan Vizzuti on trumpet, who's a really big trumpet educator. He's written heaps of education books and this kind of thing on the method of playing trumpet. And so as a trumpet player, uh, it's really nice to have that little connection with Alan Vizzuti playing on there. And he's only in there for a few seconds. Yeah, but what he plays is nice. With that cup mute in or something, it just sounds really Mm. nice. It's a sweet, melancholic melody. Exquisite orchestral arrangements, I agree there. Very classy arrangement, very classy production on this as well. And is there a... I don't want to sound like I'm making things up here, but do I hear a harp in there? There is a harp in this. It sounds like this. <laughs> You're exactly <laughs> that on could have point. Just been his, that that could have just been his Roland keyboard with a harp Maybe sound. it was. Maybe it was his Casio. <laughs> Um, nice little piano touches by Prince. He's just got such a great touch, and you know that that colorist reference that really opened up my mind to um to the kind of playing that that he uh, records. And yeah, I just I was just going to say that that trumpet right at the end was really really nice. I didn't know who played that, but now I do, and um, it finishes the the piece nicely. And um, finishing my review nicely, going straight into Captain. What do you think about Venus de Milo? Okay, this song at first listen it can be a forgetful track you can just listen to it and it's over and i think we've heard it so many times you've heard the album you've heard it in piano medleys and the melody is just in your brain now so when you hear it you you hear it instead of just skipping over it like i probably listened to this 10 times before i even remembered the track because i just sort of just piano there was nothing really to listen to um but yeah the melody it, it gets in your brain and now that you've heard it that many times it's it's in there and uh, you get used to it uh there's nice orchestration all over this track i do like the length of this track though i think this was the original length and and i'm glad he didn't stretch it out just for the sake of you know making it a full length track i, I think it sits just good as it is and you mentioned that horn, the horn at the end, it's so nice, just the lineup plays, it's, it's good stuff. It's brilliant. And I have to ask MC, is this a song, or is this just a, a mid-album interlude? <laughs> Ooh, now you got me. Uh, I was going to say, it's got no lyrics. No, it's, this is a song. This is a, a song. Listen to this twice as well. This New Position, I Wonder You, and Venus to Milo. They're all songs. When you play the album, just stick these tracks in there twice. <laughs> <laughs> it works because then they're like a normal length track but you hear it twice it's good it works for me uh, 7 to 8 <laughs> one of the singles of this album Mountains it's a mountain. Mountains is the 20th greatest Prince song of all time as voted by the people that took part in the Peach and Black podcast one of the only songs or pieces on this album that had the input of the entire band, really. Mm. Uh, I believe Wendy and Lisa are co-credited with writing the music for Mountains along with Prince. I and, believe um, so. The background vocals are there. It's a big band performance. And obviously, because of the shout-out, we got to say Bobby Z is on this track. And how cool would it be to hear this song live? They have been playing it haphazardly, on again, off again. Let's go to Player to start this one off. Yeah, I agree with everything you say. It's Revolution Funk. It has the groove locked in. It has great vocal melody. It's a favorite of mine. Does anyone know what's whispered right at the end just before the scream? I was going to ask that. And to me, it always sounds like smell-o-vision. <laughs> I have no idea what it is, but that's not to be confused with Hellavision from 2001's (laughs) Rainbow Children. (laughs) It definitely starts from this. I reckon it's Smellavision. 
Yeah, again, because of the probably the analog to digital conversion, like it gets buried very low that you can't really even make out what it is. I think it gets a bit distracting when the second drum pattern comes in towards the end over the main beat. But it's over the top, isn't it? Yeah. Again, it's a favourite of mine, and I'm at a loss as to why I didn't do better on the charts. Okay, Captain. This is one track that I just never got. I just never got this track. I mean, I, I don't dislike it, but to me, it's just a song. But I agree with Player. It, it's just full-on revolution funk. It is, yeah. But I'm not a huge fan of that. I mean, in on the Purple Rain tour, you know, I Would Die For You, Baby, I'm A Star, going on for 20 minutes. Yeah, got repetitive. It worked there, but I think on this song, it, it just doesn't do it for me. So I don't know if it being a full band written song, if, if that helps it or, or it doesn't. I don't know. Well, it's, it's almost uh, four minutes of repetitive chords, really. So that, might, that might have something to do with it. Excluding the 20-minute version. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then you've got the, the like that second drum pattern comes in and it's I can follow it but it's a it's a bit distracting but it's it's funky but I, just a full band revolution funk doesn't really do it for me on this track anyway. Um, I really like the breakdown, the guitars and drums on the one, and there's a funky little thing, but uh, yeah, it just doesn't do it for me. It's only mountains. <laughs> I would have been one of the people who helped this not get any higher in the charts than it did, because I, I don't know. But it was voted number 20, best Prince song ever, so obviously I'm wrong. And obviously. I'm <laughs> obviously, because everyone else likes it. I just don't get it myself, but it's still a good song. Mountains, Toe Man, is this the jam? Oh, what did I say? I'm the Toe Man, I got ten toes. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Toe Man, give it to us. I think this is my second favourite track on the album. Really happy song, positive and uplifting, and the bass just, you can't, when I listen to that bass, I can't not bob my head, just that boom, 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 sort of thing throughout it. Uh, Eric and Atlanta Bliss together, uh, I think this is the first time uh, on on record, I believe, uh, at least in in the main Prince albums, Uh, and they do a great job, their little runs throughout it, great stuff. I love the chord changes at three minutes. That's just out of this world what's going on there. I'm not even going to bother trying to, um, <laughs> cut, uh, to classify that because that's just amazing. I don't know what's happening. I love all the way through the, the chorus. You've got this sort of sustained keyboard that sort of rises every four or five bars and that just brings the song up as it's singing that lyric. Like, it's only mountains, you know, and then it rises up and it's like, you it's know, it's kind of... It's climbing like a mountain. Yeah, that's right. It's building the positivity, you know. <laughs> Um, and I love the guitars, just the sort of jangly guitars all the way through. It really keeps the... Miko. Yeah, keeping the, the dance sort of spirit alive. And it's really got this almost like slightly village people feel about it. But I think <laughs> just that positivity just comes through. And it's I, I'm surprised it only made number 23 US um, Billboard. Like, uh, to me, this should have been in top 10 at least. But I'm not surprised that it made the top 20 all-time vote. Oh, not at all. Not at all. No, that that <laughs> is did, definitely deserves to be in there. It did better in Europe, didn't it, than it did in the States, I think? Uh, I'd assume so. I'm not sure. Prince himself was surprised at how badly this did on the charts. And we can say that. <laughs> uh, I really liked the video as well. Uh, the sort of flying over the ocean kind of thing. And again, with the, you know, he's got that little flag or whatever he's waving around, that little scarf or something. Sort of brings it back to that sort of village people kind of vibe. 
That's twice you've mentioned village people in this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I'm getting at. That's sort of like you know what else, overly what else Marty, we, we only had, we had Mardi Gras in Sydney last Saturday night. Is this something? You... <laughs> Parade. Hold on. Hold on. It's, a, Hold on it's a only mounts. It's only mounts, MC. And uh, yeah, really great song. I'll close it out then very quickly. Uh, I like the intro sounds. They're, they're really cool. I don't know what that is, but you know what? This beat. Correct me if I'm wrong is similar to my ears to two tracks before uh, Life Can Be So Nice. Don't you guys hear a similarity between some of the drums and percussion on this and Mountains? I certainly do. Good momentum on this track, good falsetto, great falsetto, <laughs> really good background vocals, nice rolling piano, some nice keys in there, the bass line Toe Jam's talked about, and the horn steps are uh, funky as the all those kind of things that kind of Pull, yeah. this, uh, pull this one up you there. You can see into... why Prince hired them to mm. play as a sort of two-piece horn section for the upcoming tours after this because it's a great little line and, yeah, great stuff from Eric. Yeah, and, yeah. and they, they, they pull it off both in the studio and the live setting. And and then there's the guitars and drum breakdown at 2.30, very thick arrangement. And the production on this, I, I really like the production on this song more so than most songs other than Life Can Be So Nice and Kiss. Uh, I think this one is really well produced. A lot of thought went in into this one, um, and it's a great song. But again, bit of a sleeper. I don't think I've still uncovered my um, mountains moment yet. I'm waiting for it. It's gonna hit me one day. I know it, and, and I'll be like, "Oh man, mountains is the best Prince song of all time." I'm waiting for that too. <laughs> Three minutes. Uh, that's where it's at. Three yeah. minutes. <laughs> it's it's Just gonna like happen me one day. That day might never come. It's great. <laughs> It's great. It's a great song. And from one great song to another song, we go to track number nine and Do You Lie? Do you lie? Do you? Uh, Captain, come on. Do you lie? This, uh, I think, is the best song on this album. <laughs> I, I love this song. I absolutely love this song. Um, this is one of my favorite Prince tracks, and it's. Oh, I might not be the best in the album. It's in the top two, though, but it, it's such a great song. I just love it. Jonathan Melvon plays drums on Do You Lie, who was Wendy and Susanna's brother. He's no longer with us, uh, so I think about that when I listen to this song. And I just really like this song. It's He's never done anything like it before or after this. And it's such an original song. Even though it's a really cliched sort of song for that style, he's never done it before, and he hasn't done it since. You know, it's I another actually song. think... I actually to hear think this live, I would love it. The closest he's come to this to anything similar is probably Tamo Corazon of 3121. I think there are some similarities, although they're completely different songs. But anyway. I mean, you got that, you know, what is the piano accordion mm. all through it, and it's just so different from anything he's done. And I think that's why I like it. It's just like, you know, his Prince, he's a funk slash R&B, and he does a song like this, you're just like, what is this? <laughs> but it fits on this album. It's a, you know, it's a French style. The whole thing is a big arty French album, and it fits on here. And I, I can't say anything more about this song except it's great. 
I want to hear this live. I want to hear it like like you want to hear um that other song, like full band and everything. Was it I Wonder You live? Oh, the whole album. The... Just play the whole album. Yeah, just do a 25... Oh, that's it, 2011 parade, 25-year reunion tour. You don't have to get the revolution. Just do the tour and play the album. Start to finish, plus the B-sides. I'll be there. Plus the outtakes, <laughs> plus everything else. Yeah. But uh, that's all I've got to say, except, yeah, this is great. I love it, and I love it. <laughs> Toe Jam. Do you like? Uh, this is a really interesting track. It's probably the most skippable, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad track. Oh no! Uh, no, 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 no. It, it's. I think it, it is skippable in the sense that it is a kind of slightly weird and it's a bit of an odyssey. But having said that, there's some really interesting things going on here in terms of background harmonies uh, with Wendy and Lisa. Yeah. They really bring a lot to this track, I think. Uh, and there's some interesting lyrics. Uh, You're uptown, going down. I love that lyric. And the acrobatic vocals, just sort of, he's kind of letting you know, you know, he can sort of hit those sort of jazzy kind of lines. Um, I, I didn't even mention this... that. The vocals are amazing. They're just, yeah. yeah, they're up and down. They're all over the place. He's like singing these really low notes and some pr- not super high notes, but pretty high. And it's, oh, it's great. <laughs> I've got this, I've classified this as French country jazz Christmas music. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, that's not a bad thing. Like, that's what it reminds me of, all these kind of different styles all coming together to make this oddity do you lie. I like the piano accordion. Again, brings that real French thing to it. Lots of 2-5-1 progressions, kind of, so it kind of goes all over the place. But it is, ultimately, it is kind of skippable because it's this kind of short, weird track that kind of separates the two funk staples of the album, in a sense. So I think this one might have been better as a B-site rather than on the album, but it's definitely interesting. I'll leave it there. Go okay. down, go down, go down. Do you lie, player? Going down, going down, going down. Um, this is the point in the record where I bust out with my beret. And I <laughs> you run very you know, you know, in all this time we've known each other, I've never seen you bust out in that beret. I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I've never reviewed you live before. <laughs> exactly. And while I'm eating the croissant, I'm jamming along to this. It really has that French... I love the pun there, jamming along to the croissant. Oh, sorry. It feels like I'm on the French Riviera or something. It's, um, I think this track is really humorous. It's a novelty track in its sound and Prince's vocal delivery and lyrics. Like when he says, you know, he starts out, I lie, and then you think, oh, he's confessing he's not being honest. And then after a brief pause, he says, awake in my boudoir. So he kind of just yeah. flips around. He kind of just, you know, it's a very creative way of songwriting and delivery. So it's it's really cool. And like when you're watching the movie Under the Cherry Moon, like every time that human um, tricky get up to mischief, like this is playing in the background, the little. <laughs> so you know, it, it is that humorous novelty type feel to it. So yeah, it's it's a cool song. Okay, I'll finish this off by saying that it's very light and airy this song, and it's got that nice piano accordion whatever you call it very french obviously using the word boudoir we're gonna say it's french i don't know about the whole album yeah. being french like you mentioned captain i think it's probably oh. to do with the fact that we watched the movie and there are a couple of french influences but this this is probably the the, the frenchest other than outside of under the cherry moon the most um frenchy style song and the the, fun, the vocal delivery is funny but it is impressive at the same time it's very much sung in the style of a chanteuse i love the strings at 149 that's probably my favorite part in this song 
Claire Fisher just comes good as always, but this time really supremely well placed and well composed. And then from that point onwards, all the way from 149 to 243, it's brilliant. All the way around, really, it, it pretty much ear candy I'm to me. Shocked. With what? I thought you would have just. Tra- I thought you would have just trashed this. No, 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 no. Any song that I really like, you're like, this is crap. I've got nothing to say about this. Yeah, well, I can't <laughs> help myself. This is just the the changes that happen from 149 are great. Uh, the bass yeah. with some really jazzy scales there, and and pure jazz scales. No, no, it, no they're not you know der- der- derivative pop pop structures, as far as I can tell. Which is impressive. Uh, the background voices are coming in on every second beat, which I find interesting. Not not throughout the whole song, but probably halfway uh, at, from the halfway point onwards. Uh, with I think it's Wendy and Lisa. Um, just like I said, it's ear candy. Prince's vocals drop in register as the song continues. It's a nice style. I like the drum kit. Whoever's playing, uh, Jonathan's playing, isn't he? On on a on a must have been a very sparse drum kit, and it sounds like that. It's just cool. This is a cool song with some great yeah. harmonies, great vocal harmonies. Yeah. And from great vocal harmonies, we go into Minimalism Deluxe, track number 10, Kiss. Biggest hit of this album. One of Captain, the biggest hits you... for him ever, I ever, think. Ever, yeah. Yeah, one of the biggest hits of the 80s, probably. Captain, what do you think about Kiss? And being his biggest hit ever, for me, this is the one song that just doesn't really fit on this album. Am I the only one that thinks that? Yeah. It's, oh, yeah, okay. It's, it's got this radical arrangement and sound, and it's, it's just so different from anything on here. It's, like, it's such minimalist funk, and most of the other songs on this album are just so dense and packed full of everything. And this has just got drums, no bass. I don't think it's got bass. It's just drums, guitar and not much else and it's a really derivative composition it's just your three chord blues you know that everyone does but he he makes it his own it's got the falsetto which is great vocal performance i mean i haven't heard anyone ever including tom jones sing this song well yeah other than prince especially in a a falsetto no one can do it i mean you just you can't touch him on this not even not even the cast of glee no not even (laughs) especially not on the cast of glee (laughs) this has to be you know it's such an overplayed song on radio and stuff but i think i agree with you there and i know i've got my review to come but i'll just say this has to be one of his most impressive vocal performances potentially it's unbelievable Mm. yeah no one a female can do a pretty decent job but it's not the same but um, I don't have a lot to say about it. I mean, everyone knows this song. I like the song. I don't love it. I don't hate it. It's it's not just a song. It's better than that. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just weird on this album. I think it's it doesn't fit. Was this song like you know a last minute inclusion yes. on the album, or was it there from the start? Oh, it's the last minute inclusion. Yeah. It was. It was. Yeah. Ah, uh, because this this he gave this to Maserati. That's this track, right? Mm. He was in his Ferrari, and, he got and, passed by a Maserati, and he, he wanted it back. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he had a real bare-bones version of this. He gave it to Maserati, he said, here, do what you want with this. They turned it into this funky thing, and then he heard it, and he's like, I'm taking that back, that's too damn How could too I damn miss good. it? Stuff it, it's mine. I don't know, because it's still the original backing track from Maserati on this track. They're still on that's the right. backing vocals, and he just took it back as like, nah, that's too good, I'm, I'm taking that. And then, yeah, put it, put it straight out as a single... 
and one of his biggest songs ever. Imagine if Maserati put this out, it either would have been the biggest one-hit wonder ever, wonder or, ever. No one would, exactly. or no one would have cared. Yeah. Because no one knew who Maserati was. It's really interesting when you think about it. See, could Maserati but dance like that in the video? That's what I want to know. Did Maserati have that falsetto? <laughs> Uh, I don't know, but yeah, it's a good track. It's you know, where did this come in the top best songs of ten? Was everything? It? I think ten, yeah, ten greatest Prince song oh. of all time. And yeah, but it's got to be based on you know the vocal because I mean, if you just base it on the music, that's like a million other songs. Actually, I think this is the song that got me into Prince. Probably the song that I heard on the radio first. It was either this or Cream. I can't even remember. Maybe it was Little Red Corvette. You'll have to listen to how how I got into Prince show their podcast. Yeah, that's, that we that's, did a couple that's of another podcast. Ago. Yeah, it's a classic song. I think I don't care who would have released this song. Just that I need your extra time and your kiss. That's that's the hook <laughs> right there. Like anyone who releases that, that's a number one right there, just with that little hook, I think. Just classic eighties pop songwriting. But having said that, you have got to give the shout out to Maserati for their contribution. And I think it kind of works that the fact that it's not Prince's vocal, it kind of gives it a, a different kind of edge to what you normally hear. Uh you got the weird drum effects. I don't have a whole lot to say about it because I think that the song really speaks for itself and everyone knows the song mm. and how classic it is. So, um, yeah, it's just it's an amazing song, an amazing composition, an amazing, amazing arrangement, amazing performance, and it's classic 80s pop, Kiss. I'll just say as well, you've got, he's, you've got the line in this, Little Girl Wendy's Parade, before it got changed to Christopher Tracy's Parade, which is weird. I thought, why would he leave that in this song and not change it? And he's got the big double whammy climax there because he says that and then the guitar comes in, ding, ding, and then he's got this massive wow and that just sets it off. Because <laughs> <laughs> this song just ends with Kiss but then you've got the extended. On the extended version, you've got the guitar comes in and uh, it just goes off from there. But we'll get to that another time. Uh, player. Uh, yeah, it's, it's an updated blues track. You can really um, get blues? the vibe. Yeah, it's... Definitely, like yeah. Yeah. This is the biggest blues track ever. That's wow, right. I couldn't miss it. Talking chord progression-wise. Yeah, I guess so. It's covered up in a lot of other stuff. And we've mentioned this before on the show with the acoustic demo that was off of the Maserati, but here he's turned it into a real, or well, Maserati did, turn it into a real funk extravaganza. Um, what can I say? Even though it's played to death live, it's the core of this song is classic. You can't really argue with that. On this project, though, it does stick out like a sore thumb, like Captain says, in relation to the other tracks. It's really in a class of its own, and in that sense, it's a bit strange having it on here. But I think coming down from Purple Rain to Around the World in a Day to this project, which for the mainstream on the surface would be like one of the least accessible albums, if it wasn't, if this song wasn't on this album, you'd have to wonder yeah. if Prince would ever feel so out of the music business if this song wasn't on there. And I think a lot of ways this song saved his ass, so... It, it really is. Yeah, if he, if he just if he was just surviving on the other singles, this yeah, this really wouldn't have done a lot at all. I think. So yeah, that's it. Kiss. Just in regards to saying it doesn't fit on the album, I think it is different from the rest of the album. But I think it does kind of fit just the fact it's got those weird drum effects, which I think kind of runs all the way through. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that's my take on that. So it doesn't stand out too badly for me. I think it fits all right. Like a few of you have said about some of the other tracks that, oh, this track's an oddity. For me, this track is the oddity. 
out of everything on this album. It's yeah. just, it just, me, it just doesn't it fit in. It just doesn't mesh. I don't know. There's something. I think for me, about where, it. where it's different is like, like I said, in the other tracks, they have a cinematic feel. It's, it's very sort of romantic and stuff. And then this is like the real funk outing. And, and it's, it's right kind of, in your face as well. Yeah, it's right in your face. And it's so and dry. It's so dry. Yeah. And everything and else that, is so dense. Yeah, it's just. It's just a little bit different. Just like Prince. <sighs> Rounding this out, Kiss. Well, one of the band's biggest singles. It's obvious stuff, isn't it? I mean, the only thing that might not seem obvious at first is the no bass reference. You know, he did it with Wed When Doves Cry in 1984, and he goes, you know, he doubles up Can I here. do it again? Yes, I can. <laughs> one of my biggest hits. <laughs> no bass in this song. Timeless, fat, fat, P-H-A-T, drum programming. On, on this song all the way through and, and really great percussive drum programming as well and that come on guys 2 minutes 11 seconds guitar break ridiculously funky I don't care how many times you hear this on radio I, whether you're walking through the shopping mall looking for a new pair of socks it doesn't matter it doesn't matter where you hear this you could be doing the shopping you could be driving in your car this could be playing at an 80s party you're at that guitar break comes in and it just blows the roof off everything and then after the break, you've got the guitar solo, and then it keeps on going and going and going, and it's nasty and incredible, and then the vocal is ridiculous. The performance is ridiculous on its own. Bass drum has this pitch change, though, and this is the thing that, at least to my ears, what he's, he's done something fantastic with the drum programming here. He's taken the bass drum, he's altered the pitch in di- at different points in this song, to my hearing. And used, and used that for the bass. Yeah. Exactly, and used it for the bass. So he creates a bass groove out of the bass drum by changing without the pitch. Without a bass guitar. <laughs> without a bass guitar. Come on, G- yeah. forget it. That Keep is it just unbelievable who, who drum program. Who does that? <laughs> so was that Pharrell? Did, no, uh, nerd? No, uh, no, I don't <laughs> think so. It was Prince back in 86. That's what I'm talking about. Ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculous song. It'll be a classic forever. And uh, the only thing about this track is that from a live point of view, I don't think I've ever heard the definitive live version. This current band plays it well, the Welcome to America project, but... Yeah. It just, are you guys with me on this? It never really comes out just 100%. I'll I say, with this song live, every tour, mm. he, like, reinvents this song. Mm. Like, he's always trying to make it work live, but I think it never hits it exactly. I mean, there's some different live versions from different tours that I prefer, but, I mean, and, and they're all different as well. What do you, what do you prefer? Always, what's your, what's like, your favourite uh-huh. Kiss performance? My favourite is the... 86 the... one is probably the closest to the album, I guess, but there's... I really oh, I like know. the um, 2004 version. Oh, I was going to say that. Musicology. James Brown. James Musicology. Brown. Mm-hmm. With, with Rhonda filling in on the bass, making up some new parts. Yeah. He kind of mixes it up Who? with uh, Soul Man kind of groove kind of things. Who plays the guitar on the album track, the solo? Is it is it just Prince or is there someone else as well? I wonder if it's Wendy, but it does sound, it's so funky though. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I so I always, it always sounded to me like there was two separate like guitars playing that solo and it could have just been him you know he did one and then he added the other but it might have been i always had the feeling that he was dueling with someone else i don't know why do you think when the art of noise brought out their rendition that some of the live renditions he sort of modeled it on that especially like especially the horns I'm sure he did because some versions from particular tours like after that sound really similar to the Tom Jones version 
which and sucked. I, and I know MC, MC hates it. I don't mind it. It is a, just an 80s, you know, cash grab, obviously. But Yeah, but I don't think anyone... It, it anyone uh, covering Prince songs is an issue because un unless they are, oh, you know, it's just hard to do. <laughs> it, it's Especially so, that song. Such, no one he, can really do this song. No, no. But at least Tom Jones didn't try to do a falsetto. That could have been really bad. Would have given an, think, a, him an aneurysm, probably. <laughs> I think he gave it the best shot he could. <laughs> You know where that part where um, Tom Jones goes, think I better dance now, and then goes, -na 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 and like he's used that in in the live stuff. Mm. Like instead of using it on the guitar, change it to the horns, which is what the way it was on the t Tom Jones version. Yeah. And then he's kind of like used that live, and then I think it, like that kind of cheapens it. Yeah, yeah I, I, every, I agree it, with you. I don't. I, I, it's never like, yeah, like Cream. Cream and this song. Yeah, these two songs. There's just something about them. I think maybe because Cream was, if not the biggest single, was one of the biggest singles off that album, and this was the biggest single off this album. And I think, you know, once these singles become so well-known and it's so apparent that they are standalone hits, you know, without context, when he pulls them, you know, out of his back pocket in, in, in a live context, it's like they don't really have their place. You know what I mean? Like you, you can put hundreds of different songs in a set list, but when those particular tracks, like a kiss, comes out, it's like everyone knows it. Everyone thinks about a time with it, you know, when they, when they heard it. I don't know. It's it's a. I think it's a weird effect. And and the only way that this song is going to sound fresh if he's, if if he really changes it up or really keeps it minimal, I think I feel anyway. But it's the compulsory crowd favorite nowadays. You know. But, um, wow. I'm, yeah, I'm sure Prince listened to that because that did not too badly on the charts. It, it got up there. Looked at that and he's like, oh, yeah, I could use those horns, that little sample here and there when I do it live. Anyway, that's the end of me ranting. And so we move from Kiss to something a little different now. This is probably the second longest song title in the Prince discography. Another Lover Hole in Your Head. You need another lover like you need a Track number 11, second last track of this 86 release. Are there any massive fans of this song in the house? Yeah. Put up your hand. Uh, okay, player, lead yep. us off. I love, love, love this song. From hmm. the lyrics to delivery to instrumentation. Uh-oh, is this your favourite song on, of the album? Uh, I don't know, but it's definitely top three. It's a brilliant track. I think the main stars here are the funky bass line and the accent of the piano chords that supplement it. I mean, the first few seconds of the 12-inch version, which has just the Lynn drum beat, is absolute mm. bliss for me. I usually loop that over and over. I can't get enough of it. The live video version is also nice with the extended coda. And the recent live revival of this song has been credited as including Rock Lobster from B-52s. But to my ears... Oh, there's a bit of discussion about that. But to my ears, the notes that are played actually sound more like Motley Crue's Dr. Feelgood. They're similar, but not note for note exact. But to my ears, yeah. I tend to side with Dr. Feelgood. So I know there'll be a lot of people online debating about that, but no biggie. It's, um, this song is, again, another standout for me. Hmm. Captain? Uh, for me, the start of this song sounds like something off controversy. It's just got a sound, um, except for the, the reverb on the drums and, you know, it's all over this album. You know, this could have been from like 1982 or something, I think. But um, I, I like the bass in this track, player said about the bass. But I think this song is, it's just a bit bland. I mean, even for a Prince song. 
mean, the, the structure, like the chord progression, it's really a common thing. But I think he, he, he saves it with the chorus. It's a good chorus. The extended version's pretty cool, but we're not talking about that. Uh, that's a whole other show. But it's, yeah, to me, this is just an average song. The chorus uh, is a lot better than the rest of the song, I think. The verse just seem a bit, a bit boring and bland. I don't know. This is another song that I never really got. I just, to me, this is just another song. Uh, I don't know if I agree with you there. It's definitely a song that didn't hasn't. It doesn't stick out, or hasn't in the past stuck out much to me. But um, it's starting to. The more and more it goes into the live set list, and you hear that that they're playing it, and you read about them playing it, you think, yeah, you know. There's, there's something to this track and then mixing it with other songs uh, whether it be the B-52 um, remix or or other versions of it um, I particularly like uh, I remember watching the footage of uh, Prince and the MPG performing this it, remember the Super Bowl, Super Bowl. oh that rock <laughs> that killed mm. it yeah. killed it that was a great performance yeah. and that arrangement was great so yeah, I I really started listening to it more more closely. Then, how can you not mention this song? I don't want to steal Toe Jam's review here because I'm guessing he might be um, up to a few similar tricks here. But the bass line, the, the slap bass, and then going into the pluck bass is just hectic. And um, the bass in the verses as well is really good. And they start behind the beat to my ears. They're just behind the beat, just a, just a split second. And that's a really, really cool effect. And there's a bit of echo on there as well. Great lyrics, about relationships, issues. Um, you know, you don't need another lover. Like you need a hole because you got a hole in your head or whatever it is. <laughs> whatever the, the uh, imagery is that they're trying to uh, portray there. Probably the most interesting thing about this song to me is the vocals. The forefront vocals, which are Prince's. Yeah. And the backup vocals, which are Wendy and Lisa's. And, and Susanna. Yeah, and Susanna, sorry. They just interchange in such a unique way way, especially within pop music, and probably within most music, it's just really odd. Very, very odd. Um, sometimes you know, he takes the forefront you and know, then they take it. And yeah. then they take it. Sometimes they'll start the verse, sometimes he'll follow them. It is sometimes he'll start the is, verse. Is and this then... a similar thing to like um, how mind. 1999 was supposed to be? How they were all supposed to sing the different they were supposed to all sing it together and they split it up. Yeah, yeah. To one and then they split it. Yeah. You never know, but I, I think this is a little bit more calculated. Probably spontaneous, but just like a spontaneous calculation because then sometimes he follows them, they follow him, whatever. And But the chorus, the interesting thing about this is the chorus, the vocals are always together. They're together in a harmonized fashion. Yeah. I just find that very, very interesting. And the way I see that is that the verses in this song are the chaotic, messy unfortunate nature of what they're singing about and then the chorus comes in and, and you know everyone's in agreement saying you know you need another lover like yeah. you need a hole in your head and they're making a point of it so this is a really interesting song it's just a mesh of sound it sounds great my last point is this two minutes 52 seconds is when it all comes together awesome piano voicings some light strings and really nice guitar effects kaleidoscope of, of sound come together for probably two or three bars and just explode all in your face and then it it fades out way too soon that's the only thing I'll say and we go straight to Toe Jam to uh, rock the boat here maybe on uh, his review of Another Love Hole in Your Head oh, I agree I agree with most of your assessments that's probably my third favourite track on the album uh, it's a very interesting groove 
I think what makes it for me is the acoustic piano throughout it. It really gives it this kind of classiness about it. It's yeah. almost like, you know, it's this dirty funk track, but then it's got this nice acoustic piano sound at it. It kind of gives this aura of like, you know, that he's kind of classier than the person that he's talking about. I don't know. That's the way I kind of hear it. Not in a, not in a degrading sense, but it's kind of like almost like a musical metaphor kind of thing. I love the slap bass and, and it's kind of doubled with this power chord guitar thing, which kind of slightly sounds out of tune, which kind of gives it this interesting sound. And I love the bit towards the end where it all, like, I agree with you with the choruses, how they're always together. And then there's that one chorus that's like, you need another lover, like you need a whole, a whole, a whole, a whole. And they're all singing together. Like, that's crazy stuff. And I, I love need the... another lover, like you need a hole in the head. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird lyric, actually, because I'm not really sure I totally understand it. It's obviously he's kind of dissing this woman, you presume. His um, lover, yeah. Yeah. But as to what it actually means, having another hole in your head, I'm not sure. No, um, well... The way I interpret it always is about it's about a guy who's trying to get back or or retain his partner who's kind of over it and either has left him or is looking at leaving this guy for another person. And he's saying, well, you don't need another lover. You need another lover like you need a hole in your head, i.e., who needs a hole in the head? No one, you know. So you don't yeah, need to do interesting, that. interesting, eh? Strange. It's got this classic five-chord build-up. More, 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 more. Just building mm-hmm. up to that sort of cheesy kind of moment, but I like that. And then the background uh, vocals descend as well, and they go, oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's this constant sort of waving melody line. And I like the bass movement through the verse, throughout the verse. You know, the bass is moving up one note at a time. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that too, the bass. No, not that bit, during the, during the verse. Yeah, in the verse. It's just this one note, sort of one note per bar, just moving up one note at a time. Kind of. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, a really interesting groove, and I agree the um, the live video uh, is... I, I don't think I really got the song until I heard that live video, and then since then I've grown to like the album version too. I think if I... I mean, I don't love this song, but I think if I hadn't seen the live video, you know, is he's got the yellow suit on, I think if I hadn't seen that, I would like this song less than I do. Because I remember seeing that video, I'm like, yeah, that's good. It's a bit different because it's got all the horns in it. That's not in the song. Actually, I have to say, yeah, we haven't even touched on Eric Leeds and Atlanta Bliss horn section in this track, which is just like the solo. Pretty fat. And I like the extended version where it has the going to be a riot section that sort of goes on a bit longer and builds up a bit more. So, Yeah, it's a great, great track. Classic, classic parade track, I think. Like when I think of parade, I think of of Kiss, I think of Mountains, I think of this. The piano little flourishes in there sounds like really Jimmy Jamish. The way he puts his piano into his kind of funk songs. Yeah, okay. And and uh, I believe this is a almost entirely solo performance from Prince, so that's also interesting. In fact, a lot of this album seems to be when when we try and check out the credits and and do do some research on on the release. It seems to me that most of this, even though it's credited to Prince and the Revolution, was performed mostly by him in the horn section and Claire Fisher and a, and a fair amount of programming. I think Mountains is the only song that features the entire revolution. Well, there's um, Wendy and Lisa are backing vocals throughout the album. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of true with all three of these revolution albums. It's a lot more Prince than a lot of people would like to admit. There's a lot of fans out there that seem to think it's like completely revolution collaboration, where a lot of it is just them adding their bits to Prince songs. Yeah. But we'll never know, really. So, somehow, after all this talk, after all this chatter, we've made it. We're at the last song on this album. We're at track number 12. Sometimes it snows in April. Sometimes 
sometimes I feel so bad. Oh, this is your favorite track on the album. Because <laughs> you haven't said it yet. Very so good. Very good, Mr. Ah. Holmes. Using some deductive <laughs> logic there. This oh, is... You better go first, then. <laughs> Actually, I'll I'll, uh, I'll let someone else go first, but I will say, Sometimes It Snows in April is my favourite song on this album and has in very recent times become one of my top five favourite Prince songs of all time. Let's go into who's as big a fan as me, or or is everyone in agreement, or does someone not like this track? Alright, well, we've talked about this song before, and I think what stands out the most is how stark it is, and how atmospheric and surreal the song is. It has a real rawness, and it, all the chair squeaking, and the guitar chord changes on the fretboard, all the little nuances are left in there, on top of it being in an incredible song. And it's all these little things in the song that gives the song character, I don't know if this should be the closing track though because um, when you put this album on loop once this track ends it goes back into the festive parade song and it kind of breaks the mood suddenly but I mean that's a small complaint on a flawless song it's a brilliant song okay Toe Jam sometimes it snows in April oh how can you not like this song <laughs> it's a beautiful ballad the melody's beautiful the chord progression's beautiful uh, which I'll talk about a bit more in a second and I think it sets it up right from the very get go where you have now correct me if I'm wrong here is it Wendy singing that R at the beginning, that who's and R's at the beginning. I think so. Um, I always assumed it was her because I always assumed it was her playing guitar along with him. But anyway, whoever it is, I think that really sets it up because it's kind of out of tune and it kind of sounds really exposed and you kind of feel for them a bit. Not Hmm. not because it's bad, but you kind of think, man, that's like, you know, that takes some guts to sing like that on on an album, especially a Prince album. And so that sets it up for me. And then, of course, the the acoustic nature of it, all the... um, the squeaks and the cracks as we sound really gives it a real live sound and there's some really great moments of silence and uh, i've got the one at 248 which is it sort of you know it spends most of the first two minutes doing uh e major f major a major kind of thing and then there's this silence for like half a second and then it goes into the the chorus this bit in april etc kind of thing and mm. and that's just one second of silence just makes such a big difference in a song like this uh, now, the classic chord that a lot of people have a problem with is this B-flat major chord, and I'll play it, and I want to hear you guys' opinion on it, because a lot of people say this chord kind of clashes. I'll play the progression for you if you want. This is in the chorus. So it goes... That's really Coming nice. Up. See, I like that. That one. Oh, uh, yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Sometimes, sometimes I, wish. I wish. And it goes up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I've seen lots of people sort of say that that bit's kind of clashy. I don't really have too much of a problem with it. But but it, it's, it's, a, it's such a standard melody. Oh, I don't know how to describe it. It breathes. The whole thing breathes kind of. Uh, yeah, something like that. It sounds bigger. Like the and a lot wider than the chords that they're playing. I don't know I don't know why that it maybe it's just the room that they're in. I don't know where this is recorded. But there's a real real kind of um wide ambience to it. The warehouse, the reverb. <laughs> maybe, yeah. I think just the lyric is a really sort of clever lyric, sometimes it snows in April. It's basically saying, look, you know, sometimes shit happens basically. Yeah, and, uh, and not at the time you might have expected it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And um that's a really 
nice poetic way of saying it. Um, so yeah, I really like the song. I wouldn't go as far as to say it's in my top ten or top twenty or anything like that, but it's it's it is a beautiful ballad and it deserves to be the kind of song that it has among Prince fans. This made our top twenty, didn't it? Yeah, it was in top five. Top five, that's right. Yeah, so I think it deserves to be there, even though personally I wouldn't rate it that high. Hmm. But uh, yeah, it's a great great sentiment, great song. I I, uh, I think it is a great. A great song. It's a, it's a, it's an amazing. It's an incredible song. It's to me. It always reminds me of um, Power Fantastic, mainly because of the ambience and the mood they create. But I think this this song is superior because of the the lyrics and and the point. the The singing is is very melancholic and regretful, but it's just it rounds off. The, the, the emotion in, and it, and it kind of I don't know it, it doesn't quite it doesn't quite get get me into in into this um, like a, into a depressed state or anything like that it it's just a, it's just a, a solid melancholic tune that when whenever I listen to it I get the impression that it it probably is it one of those personal songs it means means a lot to the artist or to the artists and the lyrics I, I have to say a little bit about the lyrics because although some of them are a little bit cartoonish, especially at the beginning, when they, when they refer to Christopher Tracy by using the name Tracy. So it doesn't make it timeless because it's referencing the character in the movie. Yeah, and that's the only thing that spoils it for me, but obviously um, there's, a, there's there are a couple of lines that are intriguing to me. One is the last line of the first paragraph, where after talking about Tracy and Tracy and Tracy, Tracy this, Tracy that, he ends with, but sometimes, sometimes life ain't always the way. And I love that, because in a conversation you'd say, but sometimes, sometimes, or you wouldn't even repeat the word sometimes, but you'd say something like, but sometimes life ain't always the way it seems, or sometimes life ain't always the way you think it's going to be. But he just... You know, it's it's an un, unfinished, unresolved sentence, and then they go into sometimes it snows in April, sometimes I wish our life was a, I wish life was never ending, and all good things they say never last, which is just great, really simple but but very um, meaningful lyricism. And and then my favourite line, one of my favourite lines in in Prince's entire discography, which is sometimes I wish life was never ending, all good things they say never last, and the last line all. Oh, good things they say never last and love it isn't love until it's had is what i hear now sometimes it's printed as love it isn't love until it's past yeah that's the way i hear it see i've i for years i've heard it love it isn't love until it's had it gave me a um a kind of deep sense of of loss obviously but uh, i think it means the same thing i think the um the difference between saying had or past Love isn't love until it's had is kind of like love is to come kind of thing, whereas love isn't love until it's past is almost like sometimes you don't realize that it was love until it's gone kind of yeah. thing. And yeah, slightly me, different. Yeah, yeah, it is slightly different. And I, we, should, we should have clarified this before the show somehow, but um, the lyrics aren't in the booklet. And I, I still hear had. I don't know why. I just don't hear the P enunciated. And if it is had, in the way I've been hearing it all these years, to me it was more intense, it was more emotional because something has happened, something tragic has happened, whether it was love for a week or a month or, you know, years, it's no longer here. And I and I just, I found that such a deep lyric. But uh, Captain, round this one out for us. Are you a fan of this last track? It's my go. I am a fan. I'm a fanatic of this track. Really? As someone would say. 
And that's a battle um, too. Wow. It's a, <laughs> yes. You got the trio of Wendy on guitar, Lisa on piano, Prince on vocals. This is one of his most, uh, not emotional, emotive songs, I think. And I think this is probably the best song on this album. Probably tied with Do You Light. What a, what a couple that is. <laughs> <laughs> if you said, pick any combination, that would be Captain's favourite. You could never guess it. I would have thought it was New Position. Seriously. I would have, I would have thought he went for New Position and um, The Morning After, or even though it's not on this album. Um, yeah. Um, it's a great vocal performance. There's not a lot of falsetto, but you can hear the emotion. It's, it's there. Now, I was thinking about this today. Now, whether it's real emotion or it's just a performance of emotion, I don't really care because it comes across that way as emotional and that's obviously was the intention so I don't really care what the motivation was behind it because it's a success no matter where it came from I would love to hear this vocal his Prince's vocal solo just take out everything else and I just listen to that vocal because I think there's a fair bit of emotion comes from Wendy and Lisa's playing but it's not that obvious because it's in its instrumentation um, and everyone says oh it's such an emotional song it's, it's all in the vocal, but I, I think it might be half-half. There's a lot coming out of Wendy and Lisa in, in, in what they're playing. To hear this live would be great, but I think this would be great to hear live if it's coming from a real place. If it was just in the set list because, you know, the fans want to hear this song, I'd rather not hear it because he's just playing it for them. Yeah. I'd rather it not be in the set list and just, you know, one night he's really feeling like playing this song. Yeah, I agree with and that. And the real emotion is in there, that that's what I want to hear. Yeah. I want him to come out, play the full song, and I reckon as the song is near the end, he could walk over to that electric guitar and do a massive Purple Rain-ish solo oh. and just rock the end of this song. <laughs> now, you could go either way on that. You could think it could be good or you could think it would be awful, but oh, I'd want to no. hear it once just to know for sure. Sometimes it, it snows, purple rain in April. <laughs> I reckon it could work. I reckon you could just do a big do, guitar do, solo do, like um. Do, do, do. I don't know how you could do it on this, but I I reckon it could work. But this song is great. Uh, that's all I've got to say about it. Okay, so let's go round the table. We've gone through every single track. We've gone forward and back. We've discussed the funk. We've discussed the junk. So final thoughts. The overall album has, like I've been saying this all the way through, it has a cinematic feel to complement the movie, but I am dying to hear a remaster of this album because of all the little interesting nuances that we like in Prince's music. They're way too low in the mix in the transfer from analog to digital to CD. You can't turn it up loud. I'm struggling to hear all the really good stuff within the songs. And I think that affects my listening experience somewhat when I'm listening to the album. All the echo and reverb in the tracks and some of the abrupt edits are at times distracting also. But it's a fantastic soundtrack. And the more you listen to it, the more it sounds like a collaboration album with Claire Fisher. Mm. The strings are right up in front and intertwined with the music. It's not mixed into the background or faded low in the mix like some of his other songs with the orchestra. So... Again, I'm looking forward to a remaster, not only in sound quality, but for the extra tracks that didn't make it onto the album, that were either outtakes or in the movie but not on the album, or B-sides. That would be the ultimate parade CD for me. So my top three would be 
mountains. But this is in no order. Mountains, another lava, and under the cherry moon. My overall score would be nine out of ten. Ooh, that's a bigger score for a while. Yeah, <laughs> nine out of ten. Massive score. Okay, Toe Jam. I think this album is one of those ones where the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Uh, I think obviously the first four tracks are quite short, and there's they kind of there's a few quirky tracks and interesting experiments throughout. But I think that's not a bad thing, and I think all of that added together makes a really unique album. Yes. Um, some albums, you know, might have some really great tracks, but then they're not really great albums. Uh, but this is the opposite. I think there's lots of consistency in the album, even though there are all these experiments. I think the effects on the drums throughout, there's always something different happening on the drum effects in each song, and I like that. Uh, and there's also the interesting in- instruments like the harpsichords and the um, piano accordions that kind of pop up throughout. I often wonder what this album would sound like, whether I'd like it as much without Claire Fisher's arrangements because they bring so much to this album um that often i wonder without that would it be perhaps a little bit too sketchy like i think the album is a sketch in a sense but i think claire fisher completes it and gives it a fuller sound even perhaps possibly deserves so i often wonder about that i'm gonna give it an eight and a half the only things possibly just a little bit short maybe especially those first four tracks as great as they are i think Perhaps I maybe would have preferred them being a little bit more developed rather than, although it is nice to hear them as sketches in a sense. So I'm going to give it an eight and a half, which I think is a solid score. And it, it really is, it completes the what I consider the trio of, of Revolution albums, Purple Rain, Around the World on the Day and Parade. They're three albums that kind of sit back to back in the, the Prince catalogue, I think. And one only wonders, you know, what would have happened had the Revolution stuck together, whether it be for better or worse. But I think those three albums are a testament to their ability to uh, write songs, work on songs together, and yeah, it's a great album. It's a great album. Eight and a half. All right. Nine, eight and a half. And now I'll be very brief. I'll just say that mathematically, each track on here is worth 0.83 recurring. <laughs> so Explain yourself. <laughs> Fool, if I take out Christopher Tracy's Parade and I Wonder You, only from the point of view that they really are, in my opinion, although they are songs, I guess they're very sketchy. That leaves me with 10 tracks that I do enjoy. So if it times that by 10, that's what, 8.3333 recurring. So I can't go... <laughs> I'm not going to... I'm not going to give it an... <laughs> fine, 8.333 recurring. recurring. Yeah. <laughs> but um, as a whole, though, I have to say that there is something magical about this release, about this time, about the movie, the black and white, the French themes, the fact that it's the last Revolution album, the way that it's recorded. It's the first, first time Claire Fisher's really come in, a full orchestra. And then there's things that we'll get into another... Obviously, I haven't discussed today due to lack of time but you know Alexa to Paris Love or Money a lot of the music that was in the film that wasn't necessarily on the soundtrack even some of the vignettes there's just such a magical quality to this album and to this era and so I'm going to give it a solid eight and a half this is just classic classic Prince if you're a Prince fan this has got to be one of your favorite albums Um, and it's one of mine and we go to Captain to round this out with his final thoughts they should be interesting I give this album as well an 8.5. I already thought about my score. It's an 8.5. It was the first time you really had horns, you know, 
more on this album than I think any previous album. And a lot of live drumming by Prince as well, more than any album since Controversy, which I thought was interesting. I didn't know that. Like Tojam said, Claire Fisher's input into this album is huge. And if it wasn't there, what would this album be? It would just be, I mean, (laughs) the whole album would sound like Kiss. It would just be total bare bones, drums and guitar and, and some backing vocals. And yeah, it'd be interesting. I don't know if I'd like it, but I give it 8.5. It's a great album. Pretty high scores, probably at 8.75 as an average. I'm just trying to remember what we said for Lotus Flower. I think I might have I given Lotus Flower a 9. Yeah. I think you did. I would, I would still rate Lotus Flower higher than this, only slightly though. Yeah. I think a lot of people do get caught up in the 80s thing. Yeah. And they think, oh, it's the 80s, it must be great. But when you actually, like, personally, when I listen to these two albums, they're both fantastic albums. Mm. But if it came down to it, I'd probably choose Lotus Flower, only because it's a little more consistent for me. Yeah, I would as well. I think I would as well. But don't you think, like, stronger songs, if you think about it, mid-80s, like, the whole 80s was, like, this big, colourful decade. This is, like, the most ballsy thing that he could have ever released, like, in the musical soundscape of pop charts. And he puts this out there, and he accompanies it with a like a black and white movie. Like it's just really, really ballsy. And mm. for that, and like even like he he kind of like turned his back on his R and B roots, and it's got more like a European feel to it. And mm. that reflected in the charts as well. It, it did well in Europe, and it did not as not as well in the states. And I think just like from a musical standpoint, and just taking risks and and all that he's oh absolutely yeah he gets like in terms of taking risks he gets higher marks on this than Lotus Flower oh, yeah. but I, I just think I kind of agree with him see I think the songs overall are slightly stronger I think this album and, and the, the parade tour as well is what really kicked it off for him in Europe yeah that's yep. where it, you know and then Sign of the Times and then it just went it was, it was huge but what Jam said about people get caught up in the 80s I was thinking that as well Everyone's got this fondness and the memories of, you know, all the great Prince albums are in the 80s. And listening to them now, like listening to this to review it and listening to every track and listening to the drums and every single little thing in it, it's not the same as the memory that you have of this album. You think so? I think so. And then you end up thinking, well, this song's not actually that good and this song's okay. And then you, you look at it as an album and it, it's not the same as the image that you had. People forget well, that if you looked at the reviews of this album when it first came out, people forget that although the you know, there would have been lots of critics that would have maybe not slammed but wouldn't have given this completely favourable reviews. And again, yeah, it's only that happened. people's that, memory, you only remember the, the good reviews kind of things. Like the critics were talking about how he hasn't really changed much since Around the World in the Day and they kind of felt it was like more like a hippie type album. Some critic, I think, from Rolling Stone was talking about in um, Christopher Tracy's Parade where he's talking about um, strawberry lemonade and, and the reviewer goes, wow, I can really taste the colours, man. <laughs> he was just talking about it, how it's such a hippie album. and I wouldn't call this a hippie album at all. I mean, then, Around yeah. the World in a Day was, if anything. This is critics. They probably spun the album once and just wrote it off. So, Except for maybe the last decade. From, well, maybe not for you, but from Prince up to, oh, I don't know when, every album was different from the last. 
from Prince to Controversy, you know, Dirty Mind, uh, 1999, Purple Rain, Around the World of the Day, Parade, Sign of the Times, Lovesick, they were all totally different from the last album. I don't know how anyone could say, oh, he hasn't changed from Parade, from Around the World in the Day to Parade. They're so different. And just look at the colours. Around the World in the Day is, look at that, the cover of it. It's got every colour on earth, and Parade is total black and white. That's it. Mm. It's interesting. There's lots, there's lots of interesting things. The, the rev- <laughs> I think the reviews were all over the shop. I think European reviews were a lot yeah. more favourable than the American yeah. ones were. That's right. There's an interesting um, and fairly short review by uh, Robert Criscale from 1986 where he says about Parade, musically this anything but retro fusion of Fresh's foundation and Sgt. Pepper's filigrees is nothing short of amazing. Only the tin-eared will overlook the unkilted wit of its pop Baroque inventions. Only the lead-arsed deny its lean, quirky grooves, both of which are so arresting that at first you don't take in the equally spectacular assurance with which the singer skips from mood to mood and register to register. I just wish the thing weren't such a damn kaleidoscope. Far from unifying its multifarious parts, its soundtrack function destroys what little chance the lyrics have of bringing it together. And the last part is, Christopher is Prince, I guess, but nothing here tempts me to make sure. I'd much rather find out whether the former Rogers Nelson really takes all this trouble just so he can die and or make love underneath whatever kind of moon, or if he has something less banal in mind. A (laughs) minus. That's a review. Okay. <laughs> That's a review. <laughs> you get him on the show, this guy. <laughs> so, um, pretty interesting. Two of the leading music publications in Europe, I don't have which ones, said Parade was the best album of 1986. I don't think there was anyone in America saying that. And, I think and it also the, did and, better in Europe simply because he toured there as well. That certainly would have... Picked up sales. Well, you know the you know the Paz and Job critics poll that every year they do um in the U.S. the greatest albums released that year and uh, Prince was Prince and the Revolution were were placed at 25, the 25th greatest album that year. Um, Graceland, Paisley Park. Yeah, and well, just before we even get to number one, there was Pat Metheny with Ornette Coleman at Song X. There was people like Janet Jackson, Elvis Costello, R.E.M., Peter Gabriel, Beastie Boys, Licensed to Ill, Run DMC, Raising Hell, Bruce Springsteen, Robert Cray Band, and Paul Simon, Graceland. Yep. Good so. song, that. But see, Kiss was voted Best Song of the Year by a lot of European music critics as well, and I think Kiss is what saved the album in America. I mean, it, I think without Kiss, it would have been a total flop. And I think maybe he knew that. And he, he knew he needed a big single to make it work. Mm. Oh, that's it. Yeah. We made it. We did. Shout out to Christopher Tracy. <laughs> Shout out to Bobby Z. 